On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So a couple of things before we dive into today's conversation. Um, This week or yesterday, I was really excited because I got to host a little Facebook Live um, story sharing uh, with Gary Knight. So for those of you not familiar, I um, work with Project Sleep to raise awareness about sleep health, sleep disorders, and sleep equity. And one of the things they do is train people to be patient advocates telling their stories um, through a program called Rising Voices. And I had encouraged Gary Knight, who was one of my very early podcast guests. Um, I really encouraged him to take the Rising Voices training. And so he finished it. And this was him sharing his story on a Facebook Live. So I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes if anybody missed that and you want to go back and listen to Gary sharing a bit about his story. Um, then I, you know, I think he did a great job and it was awesome. So today I'm joined by Trent and Teresa Tidball. They're a married couple from Reno, Nevada, who have been battling Trent's so far untreatable obstructive sleep apnea for seven years. Trent had done several surgical and traditional sleep apnea treatments, but he still hasn't found something to manage the severity of his daytime symptoms. So I think that far too often we think that people with sleep apnea just get diagnosed and the first treatment they try works and that's it, right? But that is not the case for a lot of people. So I really appreciated Trent and Teresa sharing a bit about what his journey has been like. Um, And I hope that people listening to this will realize that we need more research. We need access to all the treatment options. And it would be really great if we could have more collaboration so that all of the healthcare professionals trying to solve this were working together. One of the things I noticed listening back to this episode was just how much Trent and Teresa are having to do all this work to research all of these different options with different providers who aren't talking to each other. And it's really, really frustrating. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Trent and Teresa Tidball. So thank you both for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're really excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, So for I first came across you because Teresa was you had started an Instagram about kind of like LinkedIn with your blog talking about your husband's journey with sleep apnea. And so I was like, ooh. (laughs) And I think like sometimes I'm a bit much when I come across people doing that because I just think so many more people need to share their stories to really, you know, so people know like a lot more about what's going on with sleep apnea. So do you want to start maybe Trent, do you want to start with just when it all started for you? Like, did you, were you a sleepy child? Did it start as an adult? What was going on? Yeah, it, it definitely, I was a sleepy child. Mm -hmm. I think I was born with this. Um, I only say that because yeah, I mean, my my aunt and uncles, when we were around family, they always said I looked really tired and I took a lot of naps. And it really only became evident to me when I was in high school. 
that I was just, I was sleepy all the time. I always had to take naps. I was always tired. It was a joke with my friends that I always had to take a power nap before we did anything. And I actually had a sleep test in high school done. And for some reason I did the test and I never went back to the doctor for it. I was like, nah, you know, that's not. So you did a polysomnogram test with the electrodes on your head and all that. And And you never got the results. No. So I, I don't know what I was thinking. And now I've asked myself in the head about it. Cause I'm like, I could have gotten a huge jump start on this. And so, you know, but when so, you're a teenager, yeah, you think, you know, everything. Yeah. I knew everything. And I was like, no, it's not my sleep. You know, there's no way. And, um, so it affected. Did me. you know, the other thing I'm really interested in, did you know anything about sleep disorders or no. Had you, did you know anyone in your life or had you heard anything? Because no. I literally didn't even really know it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, same here. I, I had no idea it was a thing. And I think that's part of the problem is I was like, what are we even testing for? You know, I mean, I sleep all night, you know, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with me. Sometimes people feel that they almost, they're like, I'm sleeping too much. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with my sleep. It's just yeah. that I need to sleep less or something. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And that was oh, kind gosh. of my So at that point, what were your, apart from the excessive daytime sleepiness, did you have other symptoms? You know, not really. And and I don't want to say it was extremely severe in high school. I just noticed I, I was tired. I was still able to do things. I was still an athlete. I still did yeah. sports. Um, it didn't have such, I know we're honestly, we're a bunch of overachievers. Like when I talk to people and they're just like, well, all the stuff I did in my early twenties, how did I do that? And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, you just did it through the tiredness. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of just, it slowly kind of robs like your ability to try like that ambition still there. just kind of robs everything else from you. Yeah. And, um, just terrible thing to live with. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't have a significant impact when, when I was a teenager, but it was there. It was there. Just just napping, you know. So okay. I, I didn't take it as seriously at the time. So then, like, when was the next time that you actually sought help or went to a doctor about it? So, gosh, I want to say it was, it was probably early 20s, early to mid-20s mid, yeah. that I started going because um, I, I rapidly declined pretty quickly. And um, I, I was starting to spend more and more and more time in bed. And I had a lot of brain fog and I was just having a really hard time. I thought, you know, obviously I had some type of medical condition and it took a long time to get the diagnosis of sleep apnea because I was young, I was fit, I was healthy everywhere else. And I was told at the time that, yeah, there's, there's no way you have sleep apnea. So, By medical professionals. Yes. Several. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For a couple years. Yeah. yeah. So that was yeah. really difficult. Um, and Really I, difficult. And they I didn't. Just, and so I think sometimes when that happens to people, you, well, for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like that happened to me basically for 10 years. Like I was going to doctors saying, I mean, I didn't know anything about sleep apnea, but I was basically telling them that I had all of these different symptoms of sleep apnea. And they were saying that, like, I think I heard, like, sleep disorders are really rare. And I don't think it could be sleep apnea because that's only for older, overweight men and you don't fit that criteria. So I think that when you're hearing that from medical professionals, it kind of, well, for me, it definitely did a number on my mental health because... I'm thinking like, well, is it all in my head or like what's going on? Because I know I feel like this, but if a medical professional is basically saying there's nothing wrong, then right. maybe the problem's me almost. Was there any of that going on? Oh God. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there was that. And I was also really stubborn because it, it started to get so severe to a point that I'm like, something's killing me, you know, like, yeah, I we felt like I was, thought dying. He was dying. I mean, and, yeah. And yeah, at first I did have that. I'm like, okay, it's, it's in my head. It's something I'm doing something wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to change my diet. Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I do this. It's something I'm doing wrong in my life until mm-hmm. it, I literally felt like I was dying and there was something serious. And I'm like this, there's something serious going on. I have to dig deeper. And so we're going to come back to that 
point of the story but Teresa do you want to just kind of share like you're nodding along like you were absolutely there for all of this so do you want to kind of let us know a little bit about your background as a couple and like when you came on the scene like obviously Trent was already sleepy when you first met him so tell me all about that (laughs) he's like a sleepy guy I just think um so we actually did like a we've been together 10 years so I'm 30 he's um 30 32 32 um so we've been together you're you're exactly like me I'm like I'm 45 my husband's but we met like when we were kids I was 20 like a junior in college and we've been together ever since so we did oh, wow. love Daisy, um between Nevada like Reno um and which is like close to Tahoe and then the Bay Area like four four and a half hours away for yeah. like two and a half years so when he would travel or I would travel we were both in school so it like in retrospect, we did a lot of really chill activities, but yeah. then in hindsight, it's like, oh, like we did a lot of really chill activities because he, he was really tired. But um, so what you're saying is you were kind of blaming that on the fact that you were traveling like long distances to well, see each other. Yeah, all the things like you didn't really think about it. Yeah. And then when we started going to the doctor, like more and more, we just really were in that vein of like, oh, it's got to be depression because um, he had some chronic pain stuff at the time as well with his neck. And so, you know, they were really open to prescribing oxycodone. So that happened a lot. That can mess That's with That's such life. a common story. Terrible, right? Yeah. And then it, I feel a, like a level of guilt as well because at the time he was in school, we were so broke. I was like a first or second year teacher. We were living in this basement. Um, we had no money. And I was like, it's got to be depression. Like we're both, you know, we're just having a really hard time. So I mm-hmm. think them saying like, oh, you're, you know, the amount of pats on the shoulder and like, oh, you're not a candidate for sleep apnea. And then that coupled with like, oh yeah it's probably depression and then us feeding into that narrative too because we yes. don't know um yeah and you time. have no reason to question yeah, right absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. So then then you know he starts spending more and more time in bed um to the point that i'm eating dinner by myself every single night we're not going anywhere on the weekends and then we did we literally we tested for als we've tested for part like parkinson's crazy stuff that's just so and so there was never a suggestion of another sleep study no basically because the doctors were saying you know you don't meet the criteria or whatever that's so frustrating so you're testing for all that stuff and that none of that was happening and so when you say that it got really really bad so is that like were you working Trent or or yeah I was just I was barely hanging on I was barely hanging on luckily I had found a job that wasn't very rigorous you know it was it was a desk job um wasn't stressful and it was it was fairly easy on me uh, but it wasn't full-time it was only 32 mm-hmm. hours a week yep. and I was barely making it I was almost falling asleep on my way home yeah and I fall asleep at my desk several times and it was just it was just miserable. I would just wake yeah. up, go to work, and I couldn't wait to get home, and I'd just go straight to bed every single day. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I know for me, um, sometimes I actually had quite a lot of grief around this when I got my diagnosis because I feel like for ten years I was choosing jobs that I was like, you know, were you know like well below what I was qualified to do because I was like, well you know, sitting down and like, you know, like I can do do the job when I'm really tired because it's not that demanding. And I think that that's, that's difficult when you think about that, like how much more you could have been doing, you know, if you weren't like feeling that way. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I'm the same exact thing. So, so then when did, did it get to the point that you were actually, what was the breakthrough that you finally got a sleep test? So I think we had a GP say you have a deviated septum, go get that checked out. Okay. This ENT here was just like, let's do all the stuff because you said you're tired. So he did the U triple P. Oh, 
Just an admin septoplasty turbinate reduction. They did all that without doing a sleep test? Yeah, they did all that at once. It alleviated some of his symptoms for exactly four weeks. So let's go back. So they did a U-triple-P on you and a septoplasty. And what else? A tonsillectomy, they removed my adenoids, and they did a turbinate reduction. reduction. All at the same time. All at the same time. And I will tell you, there's the most, I've done several other surgeries as well, but that is the most pain I've ever experienced. That, so, so I've never heard of anybody having all of that done at once. Because even, like, I had my tonsils removed, and that by itself is a really painful recovery. Yeah. And then since then, I actually had um, Craig Baker, who's one of my guests on the podcast. He came on like before he had his procedure and then he had a tonsillectomy, a septoplasty and turbinate reduction or and I can't remember, but a lot at the same time. And I was like, that's way too much to have at the same time. But you had a U triple P as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was an experience. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was living my head forever. That's astonishing to me that they. So you're going to them and explaining that you're tired all the time, and they're looking at your anatomy and saying we should do these procedures, but they didn't test you for sleep apnea. You just said like let's let's try that and see if it helps, but you probably don't have sleep apnea. Yeah, still at that point they weren't quite convinced, but they still did it. Um, Yeah. Which was now just, knowing what you know, do you not think that that's like kind of crazy? crazy? Like, yeah, yeah. Insane. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, especially given the recovery of that surgery. So, you went through the recovery of that, and then and then you said it did help a little bit to begin with. Yeah, it could have been placebo just because I was trying to convince myself, like, it has to work, right? Right, this doctor and surgeon are saying this is going to help, and I'm yeah, I was trying to convince myself mm-hmm. that it helped, and then eventually, you know, just yeah, Dropped it just off. comes crashing yeah. down. And then we finally were able to do an in-lab sleep, uh, test. sleep test. Yeah. Okay. And so how did that come about? Did you have to kind of push to say there's something wrong with trans sleep? We need to have a, a an in-lab study? Yeah, I think so. I think every time they ask you, they ask if he snores. He doesn't snore. Right. He has. And he does have the, the treatment emergent, right? The complex. Yes. But it's not even the central. Like with the obstruction, he rarely snores. He's really hypopnea heavy. Okay, um, got it. Yeah. So then we we finally just went and did the in lab, and like lo and behold, it was like moderate obstructive sleep apnea. I so did that say. show central apneas too, or no? Not no. not until okay. we did um like a titration study with like trying treatment, right? Got it. Yeah. Okay. So they said obstructive sleep apnea and what did you say when you got that diagnosis at last I think we were like so excited we were excited and it made sense because we were doing a lot of research we we're like when I got to the sleep test I'm like doing all this research I'm like this has to be it so this makes sounds sense, like right? it. Yes. Yeah. so it was really at the time it was a breath Validated, of fresh air yeah. mm-hmm. and it was like oh my gosh finally we can treat this oh like, yeah and mind. so you saw did you see a, a board certified sleep specialist at that yes. time okay and they went they went over the diagnosis with you uh, oh i'm sorry no it was my gp and then once i got diagnosed with it then they sent me to got it okay and yeah. so then what did what did they say like you need to go on cpap or what did they say yeah they yeah, just CPAP, said... and then I think we did, um, ah, you know what? I think during the first study, we just did discover, I think, God, we've done so many things. It's been, like, I know you for, you literally forget, like I yeah. tell people stuff and then I'm like, let me go back and look at the actual records because yeah. I can't remember. I think, <laughs> I think we had to have known you had, uh, uh, treatment emergent central because they started him on the ASV machine because CPAP and BiPAP don't work for him. Because when he, he puts treatment on, then his brain's just like, no, I'm not interested yeah. in that. So, uh, so I think we must have known. Is it actually treatment emergent, though? Because he wasn't on CPAP. So, so no. It, so it. I met the split night protocol where yeah. halfway through the night, okay. like midnight or one, they came in and, and did, did the, the titration. Yes. They started me on CPAP. It got, got rid of all my obstructions, but my central Sentence. age, I was a 44 with CPAP, got it. With BiPAP, and I got switched to ASV, which was able to get my 
obstructive and centrals down. Got it. This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. And so then you went home and you started using the ASV? Yes. And then tell me, so first of all, tell me about your experience of, did you go to a DME company who tested masks on you and did the setup or what happened? Yes. Yeah. So I went, we, we tested some masks. I started with the full face mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just what I started on. It felt really comfortable. I forgot what it, which mask it was. Um, but it was really comfortable. I started with that and I had a really hard time with the full face mask. And I think not too long in, I actually switched to the nasal one. Okay. And it took me, I would say, about three months to get used to it um, before, you know, I wasn't waking up with it just on the ground because I would just tear it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd yeah. wake up to the ASV machine just ramping up to these really high pressures and all these things. And yeah, so it, it definitely took three months before I slept an entire night through just with the wow. machine. Yeah. But you kept going with it every night for three months. Yes, yes. Which I is, just, yeah. He's pretty uh, uh, talented at getting used to treatment. <laughs> He's pretty resilient, I will yeah. say. The hard part is just not taking it off in the middle of the night. Yes. <laughs> and also not know, like I think often some of the problem with that is just you're not fully awake, but you just kind of take it off. And then yeah. when you wake up, you're like, oh, when did I do that? And like, you yeah. know, the, so that part can be really annoying because you're trying your best, but it's just tough. Yeah. So then what happened at three months? So at three months, I started sleeping with it every night, all night, totally compliant. You know, I'm sleeping the whole night. I'm not even waking up, um, but I have no change in my symptoms mm. at all. I actually oh. feel worse than off of it. And um, and so, so the the I know that it doesn't really mean that much, but is is the machine giving you green smiley faces? Oh, so yeah. great! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like a. A point five or yeah. whatever when he's waking up and we were like, okay. Then and so still not feeling better though. So we're still not feeling better. And so it's just a bunch more doctor appointments, mm-hmm. titration studies, testing it, getting tested for narcolepsy. And um, they keep telling us we need to wait. You have to give it time. We went in at three months. She said, Yo, oh, we let's give it six. So we gave it six and went back at six and we were like, Nothing's changed. Nothing's Still not changed. better. So you did. So you did an MSLT test for narcolepsy, where you do the naps during the day. Yes. And it showed you didn't have narcolepsy. No narcolepsy. Okay. No narcolepsy. Yeah. And you know they they basically just ended up after kind of going back. Oh wait, go back. Wait. You know we're like a year and a half into this thing, and I'm worse yeah. than ever. I'm so sick at this yeah. point. Yeah. And and are you still working at that point or no? Barely. You but are. Yes, I, I still barely. know how you're doing it. I didn't either. It was, I, I mean, I would just, I would cry on my way to work. Yeah. I would cry. It was just the most miserable point of my life. When, when and I, I shouldn't home. like leave Teresa out of it because I know like being 
the spouse of somebody that's dealing with this, that's a lot. It's a lot for both of us all the time. Yeah. I feel like that aspect is not talked about a lot either. Yeah. No, which awesome. is why I'm so glad you're doing your blog and we will talk yeah. about it a bunch, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I think that, um, I don't know. I think it, it's tough for the person going through it, but being like the partner of somebody when there's, you feel quite helpless, I think like that there's yeah. not much you can really do. Like you can support, Nothing but yeah. Yeah. Really terrible. Yeah. So. So then, so you keep on going back to the sleep specialist and they're really not giving you any other options. They're just saying like, keep on going with the ASV, even though you're not feeling better. And so then what was the next thing? I feel like there's more things you tried. That's why I'm trying to skip along because I know like for some people I interview, it's like, um, I, yeah, I went undiagnosed for six months and then I had a tests and then I got sleep apnea and now I'm on sleep and everything's fine yeah, but no, I know with you guys past, like there's a bit more to cover we're yes. way past we're not that. even yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not even halfway there yet um, okay <laughs> so he uh you know I I went in and I was just like hey you know I've, I've been doing some research you guys don't know we don't know we've tried everything we can for this you know what about what about other surgery I've looked at maxillary mandibular advancement they move the jaws forward open up the airway mm-hmm. and he said yeah you know honestly I think someone in your case, that's something we can look at um, because we just, we don't know what to do for you. We don't yeah. know why you're still right. doing this. Yeah. And what I didn't realize until just like actually kind of Very recently, recently yeah. I looked back at my old, <laughs> at my sleep tests and gosh, if I knew then what I know now, my arousal index was like 23, 24 an hour on the ASV machine when they got my AHI down. So I'm like, I traded one thing for another. Yeah. So right. that's why I didn't do any different. Um, and I'm very sensitive when I sleep. So the arousal Same. is the problem. Yeah. yeah. So um that was probably why it wasn't working. Yeah. But um I went to Stanford to get um more opinions. More opinions. Looking at the surgery. My airway was very, very small. It was about five millimeters um in width. And mm-hmm. so yeah, you're a good candidate for double, MMA. double jaw surgery. So we did it. That was in 2020. Um, okay, so for people listening, like we've done a bunch of episodes on people that have had MMA surgery, but so there's quite a lot involved with that. So you had to start out with, did you do like orthodontics to make? No, I you didn't. No, I didn't yeah. need any because I I had orthodontics as like a kid, and my bite was really good and stable. They and didn't need to make bad. space for the incisions, though. Uh, no. No, no. I, I don't know. I was able what to go straight in. Maybe all maybe would have been missed, and I don't want to speak to that. But we are in a position now where we're doing revision MMA, so I think it's to do it again. Yeah, possible to speculate how you would on on. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, there's different surgeons who do use different protocols, but certainly most people. I mean, I think everybody I've interviewed so far has done. You know, they do. Uh, orthodontics to make room for the incisions and then they do orthodontics afterwards to straighten the teeth again interesting I was lucky that I didn't need it yeah so they just did it in one go so yes so and what was the recovery like for that so that was you know I, I don't want to say obviously the pain compared to like the p and tonsillectomy is not even close yeah the, the like pain- it's less bad Less, less yeah. bad, significantly less bad. Um, the problem is it's the length. It's a marathon of recovery because I'm closed shut yeah. for two months. Liquid, liquid diet, diet months, and everything. Really hard. And then after that, when you get the bands off and everything, it's not like I can go back to eating. Yeah. You know, I'm still basically on a liquid diet, even though I'm clear. Yeah. Um, so it was mostly just being hungry, learning to use my jaws again, uh, dealing with the swelling. And the breathing problems because of the swelling. Um, it was mostly. Did they just, have you do? Did they have you do myofunctional therapy or anything or no? Not before that. No, nothing before that. We didn't do any myofunctional. Therapy. Okay. So uh, then you had. So you got. You went through that whole thing and got yeah. came out the other side of the recovery. Yeah. And then how were you feeling? How were you sleeping? And like, how were you feeling at that point? So. <laughs> Um, no, Were you no, still no. trying to use the ASV, or are you given up at that point? No, because it, it for it hurt my jaws to put it on, so it was it was painful. Yeah, um, so I didn't use it, and I was just scared of um, 
regression. regression oh, yeah. Any sort of pressure this way. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just sleeping fully untreated and it actually got worse. It got significantly worse. Um, After the double jaw surgery. Yeah. I did a sleep test and my original sleep apnea was my age. I was a 16 you know, positionally, whatever, backside, it was just a 16. Mm-hmm. And after the jaw surgery, my um, AHI was 28 or 29. And there was a 53 on my back. And it just got significantly worse. And, we were like, and the gotta... central apneas were the same as they'd been. Yeah, they were gone. And then, yeah. So we went back on the machine. And that was even worse than the first time. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with the machine. I've given it, you know, Two and a half years. Two, yeah. Yeah. Two collective, and it's it's just made things worse. So at that point, you know, that's when a lot of depression kicked in because I'm like, well, what else can I do? I've tried everything. They you've literally do. done, like, yeah. you mean, you've done both those huge surgeries. Yeah. Right. And I'm sleeping untreated every night, and I feel miserable, and I'm just like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Do they expect me to live the next 60 years of my life while it just gets worse like this? Yeah. And it was a really dark time at that point because we were just, we were stuck. Yeah. Um, and. Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I mean, I, like I I'm famous. I'm about. famous for like crying, yeah. like three things. <laughs> Crying's a-okay on my podcast. <laughs> You're not the first person. Um, so that was obviously, it goes without saying really hard for you, Teresa. It was he suffers obviously from, you know, pretty severe depression, like when this has an uptick, but like the other side of it is, is so, so do I, you know, mm-hmm. it just sucks. I don't know how else to say it. It sucks. Yeah. And it's so scary because I don't think people understand, like, you know, you say sleep apnea and I don't, I don't know why the stigma is that it's like no big deal. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not no big deal. Like it's this constant fear of like, he's like a walking, breathing heart attack or, or not stroke. breathing <laughs> is, no, we're not yeah. like a yeah. hypoxia right? yeah. and it's just terrifying it's yeah. so scary uh, I I think like so I think that that you and I kind of talked about that to begin with when I when you were first posting but to right. me there's this huge disconnect between people think that if they know anything about sleep apnea they think of it as being something well there's a treatment for that there's right. a CPAP get a CPAP and then you'll be fine. Just yeah. like my uncle Trevor or whatever. Yeah. And I think that the the problem is those of us who, um, you know, like either use CPAP like me, right? So I've used CPAP every night for 15 years and feel significantly better than I did. Like I'm not yeah. falling asleep at the wheel and I don't wake up with really bad headaches and I'm able to function, but I'm still definitely living with a sleep disorder every day. I still have to nap. I still probably couldn't work full time. So I think that there's a, this this issue where some people do, you know, it does go great. And they, mm-hmm. you know, are, are treat, especially older, overweight men who the whole system's geared up for that have higher AHIs, but they, they hardly ever wake up. And those people go on CPAP and they sleep just fine and they're like no problem but I just think that the the experiences are so much more diverse and there's such a a range that it's like there are lots of people that just haven't found something that will work for them so the more we talk about it the better I think just to reminding people that we need more research we need more treatments yeah Yeah. it's so validating I started that page on a whim just because my therapist told me it would be cathartic (laughs) to start a blog I'm not expecting anybody to read it right but it has not only been uh, obviously really cathartic for me to get my my thoughts out and and speak to this because it is so consuming it's all that we think about so I like to talk about it yeah Um, just Same. the community and the validation, right? That we yeah. have found that there are other people who do feel this way have, has been huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you, you did. I think sometimes doing something creative can really um, just kind of help to kind of move it out of just constantly thinking about it, you know? Right. So it's good. So then, so then you're really depressed. both of you and then um 
but there's more, right? So, so oh, what was who that. was the next doctor you went to? So we we um, passed this on to ENT um, to do a drug induced sleep endoscopy. Okay. Um, to just see like why what's going like on what's happening while trying to sleep needed you, you know whatever um so do that it, um it's his tongue and what they did tell us was that like the tongue was the entire issue which is um how we landed on the inspire stimulator but it took you a solid maybe year because they said the inspire was like the only that hypoglossal nerve stimulator yeah. was the only thing left to try. And we were like, oh, man, like just so wary of that. So it took a solid. So they said that even though they saw from the sleep studies that there were central apneas too. Mm -hmm. So, so just, they just um, I didn't have any centrals without the machine at all. So they were basing it off that. Basically. Oh, yeah. So I only have the centrals under the machine so it really was treatment emergent central yes, okay yes, so yes. sorry teresa i'm all like trying to uh tell you like no you mean That's this all. is this but so Listen, so when yeah. you weren't on so when you weren't on the machine it no, was no. purely obstructive and yes. they were yeah. saying that it was mainly your tongue that was the issue and yes. so that's why you would be a good candidate for inspire okay i'm with yes. you yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was tongue, tongue based um obstruction and because okay. just for people listening like i have done an, uh, an episode on inspire and i've got another one coming soon but there are a lot of different criteria for people who are good mm -hmm. candidates for that and one of the things is that your tongue has to be like that has to be a big part of why right obviously like if, if people just have an airway that's collapsing in on itself then yeah. moving their tongue forward isn't gonna help that but you were told after the dice procedure that your tongue was the biggest issue so it could be yeah. a good option yeah. yes yes exactly yeah everywhere else they said that it wasn't really having any collapse or anything like that so in in Really, the biggest thing is like what she said is I was the youngest patient at the time that Stanford had put this in. And I was just, I don't know, I really got into my head about relying on a device again and putting something into my body. And I'm just like, oh, man, every 10 years I have to have a surgery to change it's it out. Understandably. Yeah. That's so it just took a while <laughs> for me to get convinced. And then one thing that convinced me is I was just getting so, so much worse. Again. And mm. at that point, I mean, I couldn't even... I could barely take a shower, you know, standing up in the shower, my knees are buckling. I'm like, I'm so I'm, I'm like basically dead at this point. I felt like, so I'm like, okay, whatever, let's, let's try anything and everything. And so you're not working at that point. No, he's no, working. I was still working barely, but like I said, my job was, was <laughs> really easy, about as easy as it can get. Um, and I got, I, I'm very thankful that I was able to find that job. Did so, you feel like that's pretty much all you were doing though? Like you were just doing the job and then sitting and then. Yeah. So and, I, yeah. I, I didn't have any, like no social life. I didn't do anything. I know how it was. It was in bed. If I was not at work, I was in bed seven days a week, um, 16 hours a day, you know, on the weekends, the entire time I didn't leave didn't do yeah. it. Just stuck. Yeah. And so at that point, it's like, well, what do we have to lose at this point? Just trying this. So, so Teresa, how did you feel about going through another procedure and an another thing? Are are you doing all the research this whole time? Like, yeah, what is this always. next thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, we got Inspire in in, in June of twenty two, um, and it was activated in August of twenty two. So okay. it's like not that old um but i've been super skeptical the whole time everything else you kind of feel this like semblance of like oh whoa this is you know because the research looks really yeah. good when you're googling certain things if you yeah. google does mma help sleep apnea sounds really great yeah what you don't look at is like how far of an advancement do you need in order for it to actually help sleep apnea? And that's yes. the piece that we're missing. And so, also, so sorry to interrupt you, but um, the other thing I always find with any surgical procedure is um, people don't 
know to ask the right questions of their surgeon. So surgeons will vaguely say, I think this could help you. Mm -hmm. And patients don't say, what does that mean? What does surgical success mean to you? Because a lot of surgeons will think of, like, they have this kind of weird way to work it out where they're like, well, if you have the HI, that's a successful surgery. But if somebody has 80 events an hour, and then you half it to 40, they're still on CPAP. Yeah. Like it, you know, and, and it's like telling a patient like this is a successful surgery. Most mm-hmm. patients think of successful as being, I no longer need to use CPAP or do anything else. It's just fix yeah. my problem. So I think that there's a lot of issues with the way that we talk about any of the surgeries. Yeah. yeah. It's so subjective. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was really well said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when, you know, when we did inspire, I, I've been, I was skeptical going in, I was skeptical afterwards and um, just because you felt like it was a newer procedure or you just weren't sure. It's new. We've been burned so many times before, yeah. you know, You're weary. It's it, yes. And at that point it's been so many years that it's just like, you almost don't want to let yourself go there either because mm-hmm. Um, you'd rather be prepared to be let down and be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, it's just too hard to, to like feel those things. The hope and then like the pain right. again. And yeah. The, the immense sadness when you're let down every, every time, you know, and yeah. then just like watching your partner go through that as well. Like so many surgeries, it's so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. What a worry. So, but you did end up doing it. And then what happened when, so, so the actual surgery itself is not that big of a surgery, right? Oh, compared it, compared to double crazy. jaw surgery and all oh, the stuff yeah. you had with your yeah, by yeah, at the end of the first chill, week, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to lift your your arm up shoulder height. And at the end of the first week, you know, I'd almost forget and lift it up, and like, oh no, you know, I yeah. ruined it because it's it's really yeah. bad. Pain is minimal, recovery yeah. is yeah. minimal. Um, very very easy surgery. So that's good, but yeah. and then what happened when they? turned it on or activated it oh man we were on cloud nine we were so excited because we were like this has to be it it's just my tongue right it's this, just his tongue right this, like and this we know what it the is tongue. yeah we're gonna treat it <laughs> it'd be so great yeah we were like we were planning our lives out oh we're gonna do i'm this. feeling That's the hope <laughs> yeah we just planned out everything oh my gosh we can get our lives back i can get a different job we can do all these different things he wants to get another degree you know all the things yeah uh, yeah. And um, the first two nights were actually pretty dang good. Yeah, we had it. a couple of really good days. Yeah. And then ever since then, it hasn't been good. And then it was <laughs> like frightening. Like some of the worst days we've had where we even started to question like, did we miss something? Is something else yeah, wrong with this you? Can't just be sleep this can't just be sleep apnea. Right. But what you don't realize is that thing is jolting your tongue forward with an electrical stimuli. Like your arousal index and fragmentation is also probably going to be pretty high as your body's getting used to something that's that yeah. invasive, I guess, is the right. It's involved, you know. Mm-hmm every single night. Um, so that was in August and here we are in April. Um, again with the compliance. And were you able to do another sleep test with? Yes. So with it. And what did that show? So the first one in lab, it didn't really change much. I think it brought my AHI, my overall down to a 23 and then my AHI, my back was a 37. And at that point, They were just trying to tell me, oh, this is, you know, this might be the best you're going to get. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Um, Because when I went on a higher level, the the higher I went, the The worse it felt. So that that was going to be my next question. So because my understanding of the Inspire implant is there's a certain, like you have a little remote control. And so it can be adjusted up. Yeah. And so those adjustments were making me worse. And I think part of the fact was after I had that original uh, MMA surgery, my tongue resting on the roof of my mouth actually like closes off my airway. I can't push my tongue up. It actually closes off my airway. It's really uncomfortable. Mm. So I'm like, I hold my tongue down, but the Inspire 
kind of pushes my tongue up. Up and forward. So when I go on these higher voltages, it's pushing my tongue up more. Mm. That's why we didn't really see much of uh, a reduction in AHI. And that's us speculating just because. Right. Yeah, that's not what the doctor it's said. That's us speculating. what he feels yeah. in his mouth. Like yes. Sensation. And, and it took us until very recently as we're still, you know, doing Inspire. He goes up 0.1 volts every week. Um, we've been doing it and he's reached two point, he got all the way up to 2.9 volts of stimuli every night, but that is like quite high and it was waking him up a lot. So I think he's been at 2.6 for like, I don't know what, like a couple months now. Yeah. Um, but it took us until now to, to kind of call time out and say, we never actually looked at why he got worse after that initial MMA back in 2020. What happened? Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at now. And we started seeking out these private doctors and really trying to type in the right search terms at this point, because now we know more. Yeah. Um, and I think you there's so much to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if he was using this Inspire at a 16, like when he started all this way back when. He I know. Used, I know. It probably would be working. Yeah. Because yeah. it has brought those numbers down. It's just bringing down. Not enough. Versus a 53, yeah. that's yeah. a pretty big difference, right? In, in yeah. just like treatment. And there's a lot to the Inspire as far as, you know, getting used to it. And over time, it 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 is working a little better now. And in today's day, it's gotten my numbers So down. like the gradual, it sounds like you, instead of kind of like ramping up, you kind of are gradually been yeah. building. I'm so that's probably a good plan as high as I can be right now is 2.6. I can't go higher. As soon as I try to go one notch higher, my sleep just completely derails. You just wake up too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of interesting and everything. It's really interesting. I wish there was a way for me to try it, even though <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't really need to have it, but yeah. like, I yeah. kind of wish I could try it just to yeah, know what it feels like. It's I interesting. Can, I can hear it. Like I can hear it. Like the movement of his tongue. Yeah, I can hear his tongue, but I can also, if I just kind of come a bit close, because there's a lead in his throat, it's like I can hear it at night. It's pretty wild. Like that. It's really, it's really cool. And I'm like, oh, is it okay? He turned it on. Yeah, it's it's actually. I mean, but also he's still alive. Yeah, exactly. Other part of it, which I know I shouldn't laugh about, but it's like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely you know we're seeing some private doctors and we're looking. You know, I've I've done myofunctional therapy as well. Yeah, and you know, also there's speculation that the Inspire can actually strengthen the tongue itself just from that stimulation. That's really interesting. Part of that has why I've been able to get better numbers with it recently yeah yeah I mean like I think just my functional therapy it it just depends on the person but like I've heard a number of people have really great results just from being really consistent with that and you know like even if it's not their only way that they're treating their sleep apnea it just kind of like really helps whatever else they're doing whether it's like an oral appliance or a different thing yeah, so, so that- you're planning on on looking at revising the original yes. double jaw surgery? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're in that now. Oh, actually, yeah. I have to have a surgery to get the hardware removed first. Okay, and then I the revision double jaw surgery. Yeah, crazy. So, do we have a time frame on when that'll happen? Um, this my hardware is getting removed at the end of this month, April twenty eighth. That out. It's supposed to be. Not the worst surgery in the world, you know. There's still recovery. Well, not yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, we're we're hoping like August, September, we can the do latest. the revision. Uh, okay. He does like to wait six months from the hardware removal, but we're trying to push him a little bit because that's it's we, hard to it's ask it's hard him to wait. I know. Yeah. Waiting, you know, and I think um, you know actually at this point given we did two recent watch pat one tests with our uh private sleep doctor who all of these people uh, this it's like this like um boutique healthcare uh which is not a realm that we've entered before it, and it's it's we're starting to learn they don't do insurance at all right um which is scary but i just don't see how we validate taking him to 
anybody that's not the absolute best possible option for us to to treat this, yeah. we're not even looking to cure it. Like we just want this treatable so that yes. you can function and we can yeah. bond somehow. Um, but all that to say, you know, the two most recent WatchPat tests um, did yield some pretty interesting results. Um, over a overall AHI was down quite a bit, like mm-hmm. seven, eight, um, RDI was still like in the moderate range, like 15, yeah. 16, which I think uh, we place so much emphasis on the AHI, but I really do think like yeah. all of those, which is just don't that that's an entire, like, I mean, I could literally have a four hour panel discussion <laughs> on AHI and how it's not, it's not the be all and end all. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. But looking at those things and then like his REM sleep has increased with, you know, the level and being consistent. Yeah. First time in in like 10, 15 years. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I just feel like, you know, the surgeon that we're working with said that the MMA was deficient. The first one that we did, they didn't bring him out far enough. He has concern over that. He said revision MMA is an option. That coupled with the fact that the Inspire is doing something gives me actual hope that's based in something. That I'm quite him, hopeful. Right? Yeah. Like, we, yeah. if we really can optimize his airway and then bring yeah. the levels on this down, like, I actually think we might be able to do something with yeah. this, which is huge for us. Yeah huge yeah that and a lot are you still doing the myofunctional therapy or or you just did it for Um, a while yeah i do it a little bit i just i just have to be careful with with getting i don't want to get used to having my tongue just squished to the roof of my mouth because that causes problems for me so i i Mm. I do it but and that's like the whole thing they're telling you to do the whole time in myofunctional therapy Yeah. So that's I, a problem because of the surgery you'd already had. I really think so. I never had that before. It was after the surgery and just something weird's going something, on with my tongue. Something went awry. And um, yeah. Oh. So the myofunction, I think it does help, but I, I can tell the stimulator, I almost feel like my tongue is it's a little stronger, stronger. Yeah. or a little more like. Just that's great. It. So mm-hmm. I think it is actually making it stronger. Yeah. I'm very used to it. I still can't go up in levels. And I think I'm I'm at a much but I think this is the best place I've been in the past seven years. Yeah. It's not years. great. It's like what you were saying to your point of like you're treating it and you're okay. Yeah. But you very clearly still have a sleep disorder. Yeah. I think that's sort of yeah. where we're at. And then there are still kind of those dips like today. Yeah. So, so day to day though, Trent, like you're, you're feeling more kind of functional than you were good and bad days kind of thing. Yes. It's, um, we kind of always term it where when I have those extremely bad days and I'm in bed and just showering is almost too hard. We call it like being sick, Sick not not sick. Yeah. Tired. And I haven't had one of those sick days. Did did has anybody ever talked about chronic fatigue syndrome or not really? They have talked about that, and don't really think I have it because I I don't have any post exertional malaise. Um, Right. I have any type of decent sleep. I mean, I'm a changed person. Night and day. Instantly the next day. Questions. It's astonishing, like how your sleep just completely affects everything. Yeah. Almost doesn't matter what you eat, how you exercise, what you do this up. If your sleep's not there, you're not yeah, there. you're just yeah. I like I've definitely just talked to a lot of people with with the sort of uh, they've gone undiagnosed with sleep apnea and they've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, but then you know, and then like I know Graham Stoney, who I interviewed on the podcast, like he only found out that he had severe sleep apnea because he wanted to go to a specific um, chronic fatigue doctor and that that doctor won't see anyone unless they've had a sleep study and so graham was like well it's not that and then he was like oh i have severe sleep apnea so no wonder i feel terrible and so yeah i have some wonderings just about you know because there there are clinics and things that do cfs and they're talking so much about like the comorbidity between um uh osa or or central and the And I just wonder so much because we place so much on the AHI and it being yeah. well managed. If your AHI is low. Like, I know. what's the 
the number of people really who have CFS versus yeah. actually other factors of sleep apnea that aren't being considered. Yeah, totally agree with you. Questions, right? Yeah. yeah. A ton of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. So many, I'm sure. Because with my AHI, they'd be like, oh, you're you're, you're great. Fixed. You're good to go. Yeah. But, like, yeah. but then when we consider the RDI, I'm still moderate. Yes. I know. I, yeah, we could talk about that a lot. Yeah. I feel as though, um, a lot of it just comes out of like, it drives me bonkers when people talk about classic symptoms of sleep apnea or classic, like, um, phenotypes being older, overweight men with really high HIs and, and so it feels like, because that was the first group that, was researched because they were like these people have a problem what is it but now it's like we're way beyond that we know that there's a ton of like young thin fit people who you know maybe have lower hi's but their life is very impacted so it's just Mm -hmm. like it's it seems like it takes way too long for researchers to kind of catch up with what they need to be looking at but i think we're starting to see more where people are looking at women and younger people and but we just need way more research and i think in time i really hope that we it won't just be looking at ahi all the time yeah yeah, yeah same so much yeah. More. yeah absolutely and i think so, we'll have work to do like if we do get him to a place where he's treatable just i i almost wonder and i don't even want to go there but like from a brain um kind of perspective you know it's been 32 years this is now how his nervous system functions like do we need to do some recovery kind of protocol stuff on his on the neuro side of things I don't know so I totally don't want to depress you but I have to say like one of the interviews I did was um with Dr. Alan Pack who is a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania and he has I don't know if you listened to that one I'm always like did you listen to all my podcasts? My husband's like, never listened to any. And like, people are just like, well, I listened to like four. But anyway, this one with Alan Pack, like I really wanted to interview him from my own curiosity because of my own experience. So he took a cohort of people in Iceland and they only have one sleep clinic in Iceland. So all the people come from all over the island to this one sleep clinic. So they know that they're getting the whole population. And um, of the people that are diagnosed, which we know is not everyone, but they look at what they've done is over years, they've looked at those people and they've looked at the people who are consistently using CPAP. And then after two years of them using CPAP every night, they split them into groups. They ask the people, are you still sleepy during the day or or, do you feel energized and wakeful during the day? And so the people that are still sleepy, then they're looking at why that is. So that's fascinating to me because that's my situation. And so one of his, they still need to do a ton more research, but one of his um, theories is the hypoxia to your brain over that amount of time before you're diagnosed. Like maybe that has something to do with still being, feeling sleepy during the day. So to me, that's really depressing because maybe there's not that much we can do about that. Yeah, but yeah. it also isn't depressing because it makes me feel super validated and like yeah, yeah I'm telling you I'm still really tired like yeah. Yeah. so yeah it's legit, right? so yeah. at least people like I feel like to me it feels good that at least people are doing some research where they're asking the right questions So, yeah, but so basically like that's where we're at now, right? We're gearing up for a revision of the jaw surgery and then you'll need to come back. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. You know, I'll put all the links in the show notes, but Teresa, do you want to tell everybody where people can find your blog and your Instagram? Uh, My Instagram is sleepily and then underscore ever after together um, on Instagram and uh, the blog is just sleepilyeveraterblog.com. Perfect. And then, what um, did you think, Trent, when Teresa said she was going to start a blog? I thought it was great. I thought it was a good way just to kind of like just raise awareness. Wait, wait, raise awareness and for her to kind of just like, you know, get get it out a little bit. Yeah, I think it's great. 
Like, I, I feel as though, like, I really underestimated when I started my podcast, like, just how many people were out there dealing with this. Because yeah. yes. I think, I think like, I always just kind of thought, well, I'm the only person. And then you realize, like, you're not the only person. There's so many people dealing with this, and it's a lot. So Absolutely. thank you for what you're doing. And I can't wait to hear how it all goes. I know us too. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving us a, a time to talk about this. Like I said, we just like, this is our favorite thing to talk about it. Yeah, it. my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes, and I really appreciate it.